So if you have a, a red letter edition Bible, you can flip to the Gospels and you'll see uh, all those words that Jesus said that are now in red. It's kind of a nice little tool. And as you flip through the Gospels, you'll see there are sometimes some pretty large sections that everything is all red, like in the Sermon on the Mount or the Upper Room Discourse, uh, uh, massive uh, of, uh, um, speeches and sermons and, 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 and teachings that Jesus gave. But if you also flip through the Gospel accounts, you'll see some of those little just one line or, or a phrase here that is in red. It almost seems like a throwaway comment that Jesus did. But He is the living Word of God. And He speaks and there's power, there is transformation that takes place when Jesus speaks. Um, so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those, those statements of Jesus in our, in our Bibles and, and look at the living Word and what He has to say to us today. And we're going to start this morning with Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 33. In fact, by the way, if you are involved in women in the Word, uh, you're going through, write the Gospel of Mark, and if I'm not mistaken, um, Elaine Brashear, the teacher, is going to be going through this passage next week. Now, that does not, this coming Tuesday, now, that does not give you the right to fall asleep now, all right? But the, the good news for me is that Whatever I don't make clear or whatever I mess up on Tuesday for you ladies, Elaine will straighten it all out. Mark chapter 6. Now to get the flow of this passage, and it's the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. Let me pick up uh, with verse 31 and 32 of Mark chapter 6 to get the context here. Verse 31 said, and Jesus said, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Now, those words are unread too, and we could spend a sermon, I guess, just talking about that. I'm not going to, but he said, come away to a, a solitary place, a secluded place, and rest a while. And then kind of a parenthetical statement, Mark adds, for, for there were many people coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to that secluded place by themselves. See, the plan was to get some much-needed R&R. There was masses of people always following. It was a busy life. Uh, People wanted to be with the teacher, and the disciples had to kind of go along with that. But there was some time now needed for some rest. Let's come away to a a secluded place. And so they went to a secluded place. Twice in these two verses, that word is is used. Uh, The NIV says, let's go to a quiet place, a solitary place. If a New King James translation, it says a deserted place. The word is used elsewhere in Mark's gospel. It's a pretty common word, but it's used of a wilderness of a, of a not just deserted place, but of a, an uninhabitable or uninhabited place, a desert place. It's, it was used when Jesus was compelled by the Spirit of God after his baptism to go into the wilderness, the solitary, the uninhabitable desert 
where he encountered Satan. It's the same word that is used. Come away, he said. The maddening crowd's pressing in. Let's get away for some needed R&R. At least that's what they thought they were going to do. Isn't it true that sometimes our best plans just never materialize? You know, you're, you're cooking this fantastic dinner for the family and then the electricity goes off. Or you've, you've got planned a, a, an extra long weekend, getaway, three, four days, and the night before the kids get sick. Or you, you looked at your calendar and you have one night, one night in the week, Thursday night is the only night you have available that week, and you're just looking forward to sitting down there. You, you men, you're going to watch a little Thursday night football, and you're going to just relax. And then all of a sudden, the doorbell rings, and some unexpected company comes. You know, the, the things that we plan sometimes just never seem to work out the way they should. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples. Look at verse 33. The people saw them going... And many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. Can you imagine this? And what do you think was going through the minds of the disciples? Their boat docks, they're in this secluded place, a wilderness. I mean, that's where you go where you don't want to see anybody. The place that no one else would want to go. And they docked the boat, they probably walked over a little knoll, and there, to their chagrin, there are thousands of people that had gotten wind of the fact that that's where they were going, and they get there ahead of them. What do you think would have been going through the minds of the disciples? What do you think was going through the mind of the Lord Jesus? It was his plan, let's go away for a little R&R. Well, we know what was going through the mind of Jesus. Verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw the large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. They were like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus saw the hordes of people and it tugged at his heartstrings. They were shepherdless people. How tragic is it, by the way, for sheep not to have a shepherd? I grew up on a farm, I did not raise sheep, praise the Lord. I raised pigs. They're very intelligent, very intelligent. They take after their owners, um, but not sheep. If you've been here at Fellowship Bible Church in the past, I've talked about the, the, the five Ds of sheep. They're dirty, dumb, dis diseased, defenseless, and very dependent. You know, that thick wool and that, that oily resin, it, it's great for dirt to get in there. They're dirty. And oh, how dumb are sheep. One will fall off a cliff and they'll follow. Everyone will go, you know, the bang, bang. They're very prone to disease. There's a fly that can lay its, its uh, eggs in their nostrils. The larvae are hatching and they go up into their na nasal cavities and they'll bang their head against a tree, you know, all summer long. They're prone to disease. They're very defenseless. What's the natural defenses of, of a sheep? I mean, like, here comes ten wolves. Like, that's going to frighten them away. And dependent, they need a shepherd. And Jesus looks out over this mass of 
thousands of people, and he saw people who were dirtied and diseased by sin. He could look into their eyes. He felt compassion on them. They were defenseless. They were helpless. And whether deep in their heart they were crying for help or not, he heard that cry. He felt compassion on these shepherdless sheep because he was the good shepherd. Now, that's in stark contrast, is it not, to what we read starting in verse 35 with the disciples? So when it was already quite late, oh, and by the way, back in verse 34, it says he began to teach them many things. He sees these people, and how is he ministering to the needs of these people? He's teaching them. He's ministering truth to them, and, and we don't know what he said. That, would make, that might have filled another two, three pages with red letters, but it's not included. But we know he taught them. The disciples, well, when it was quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. In other words, get rid of them already. Here they were, I'm sure, sitting there while Jesus, in his compassion and heart of love, ministers to these people. He's teaching them. And they're sitting there stewing, annoyed, no doubt. They were hungry and they were tired. And now they sit there and listen once again to Jesus teaching the masses of humanity that they had gone there to avoid. Send them away, was what they told them. Get rid of them. You see, their little secluded place, their little deserted place, had become a place of, of wilderness, a desert place in their own soul, annoyed with Jesus. How, how does he respond? Verse 37, and this is the the little statement of Jesus and that red letters that I want to focus on, he said and answered them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Here is the living word speaking, I think, rather shocking words, unexpected words to the disciples. You feed them. What was Jesus up to when he said that? What do you think was his purpose in saying, you give them something to eat? I think a couple of potential options. I think Jesus was trying to get the disciples to get their eyes off of themselves and their own selfish needs and get them onto the people. Here, here's the needs, you guys. He's trying to get them to look at the people and the needs. You feed them. Don't just focus on yourself and your own hunger pains. Feed these people. And so he's trying to get the disciples to get off of themselves onto the need, but I think there's a second thing that Jesus is doing here when he says, you feed them. He's trying not only to get them to look at the people and off themselves, he's trying to get them to look at him. I mean, who was he? <laughs> who is this one who's been teaching the, the, the shepherdless people with compassion these maybe many hours. Who is in their midst? And I think what Jesus is trying to say when he says, 
you feed them, the response he was eliciting from the disciples was, Lord, Lord, we, we can't feed these people, but you can. We've seen you work. We know who you are. Lord, you can do it. He wants these disciples of his to look upon him and the resources that he has as, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and express their dependency upon him to cry out, Lord, we can't do this, but, but you can. We know you can. Now, let's delve into this passage a little bit deeper in the context. Go back to verse 7. Get an understanding of why the disciples are acting the way they are. Back in verse 7, here, chapter 6, it says that Jesus had summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff and no bread, no bag, no money in their belt to wear their, their sandals. And then he added, and don't put on two tunics. In other words, we're, we're, we're minimalistic here. We're, we're going to go the, 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 the least that we can do. Don't worry about a thing. Travel light. But he gives them authority over unclean spirits, and he teaches them and tells them to, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He said, verse 10, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And 11, uh, verse 11, and any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they went out and they preached them and should repent. And they, verse 13, were casting out many demons. They were anointing with oil many sick people, and they were healing them. Man, these guys were hitting home runs. He sends them out in pairs, and they're doing it. I mean, demons are flying away because of their authority. Um, diseases are, are, are being healed. I mean, these guys are experiencing amazing success. And, and what often happens when we experience amazing success in, in what we're doing? Pride. Pride. Jump down to verse 30. When they come back, the apostles gathered together with Jesus. And they reported to him, of all that, notice what it says, all that they had done and taught. They told Jesus everything that they had done and taught. Jesus, let us tell you what we have done and taught. Um, maybe we should give these guys a little bit benefit of the doubt. I'm inclined not to because we know from other passages kind of the way they were and I also know my own heart. Um, Lord Jesus, let's tell you what we've done. And they begin to account, recount the, the wonderful stories. And I can just see it. Peter's saying, oh man, we came to this one place. You'll never believe it. I mean, we, we, we encountered this one guy, and, you know, the, and the demons went, and then, oh, there were 30 people that came forward, and we healed them, and then this happened, and oh, man. And then James is standing there and saying, well, that's kid stuff. Let me tell you what happened where we went. Let us tell you, Jesus, everything we have done and taught, forgetting, like it says in verse 7, 
He gave them authority to do these things. In fact, Jesus is going to remind his disciples later and in another book recorded in John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You feed them, he now comes to say. Out of their great successes, out of all their things that they have accomplished, they see these thousands of people, Lord, get rid of them. We're hungry. They've got to be hungry in this feigned interest and concern for people. Get rid of them. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You who have been so successful among the villages. You who have cast out demons and healed people. You give them something to eat. And then he said to them, and they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? Are you nuts? We can't do that. Why would you even expect that of us? And so Jesus, in verse 38, here's his response. He said, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they returned. They said, we have five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. He divided up the two fish among them all. Verse 42, they all ate and they were satisfied. And it says they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and of the fish. How many disciples were there? 12. (laughs) And these hungry, tired, weary, annoyed, frustrated disciples, they each had a basket full, brimming full of abundance. And there were 5,000 men not counting maybe another 5,000 women, maybe another 10,000 children. Thousands upon thousands ate and were satisfied, and there were, there were 12 baskets, a basket for every one of the disciples. Wow, what a life-changing moment for the disciples, right? What a, what a life-altering encounter that forever changed their life. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 45 Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. There's the good shepherd. There he is, still connecting with the people. Verse 46, and after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. There's the compassionate, concerned shepherd. After hours and hours in weariness and his own hunger, He's ministered to these people. He continues. He goes to pray. I'm sure he looked at the disciples and in their annoyance and in their self-centeredness, he said, guys, get in the boat and leave. You are of no value here. You see, verse 47, when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land and seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea And he intended to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were were terrified. And immediately he spoke with them, and he said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. 
And then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. Just a few minutes before, they were terrified. And now they're absolutely stupefied, astonished, shockingly astonished. Why? Why were they so shocked? Verse 52, for, here's the explanation, they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. They had gained nothing from the loaves. Jesus has said, you give them something to eat. They couldn't. He does, in overflowing abundance. And they gained no insight from the loaves. A couple of questions, I think, arise, and the first one would be, well, what should they have gained? What insight should they have taken away? What should they have seen and then processed and, and, and taken back with them? Well, who Jesus was. They should have gained insight into whose creative power had just accomplished this miraculous deed. You're, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You are God. And they gained no insight from that. I mean, five loaves, two fish, and feed thousands? What should they have taken away from that? And we're, we're in the presence of no mere man. We're in the presence of the Holy One. This is God. And rejoiced at what they saw. They should have gained insight into who Jesus was. And instead, they gained no insight and they were fearful, terrified, and shocked. Utterly shocked. Here's a second question. It's probably more important. So why were their hearts hardened? They gained no insight from the loaves because their heart was hardened. Why was their heart hardened? What had hardened their heart? Well, let's not forget at the beginning of this whole passage, verse 31, they needed to get away to a secluded place because they were tired and had had no time to eat. <laughs> what had hardened their hearts? Their self-centered focus on themselves. Their own neediness. They were concerned with themselves. There was no concern for the needs of others. There was no learning the insight of who was in the midst of them, doing an incredible miracle. You see, their selfish heart, their self-centeredness had overshadowed all of that blinded their eyes to the spiritual needs of others, the physical needs of others, blinded their minds to who Jesus was. Selfish interests can so easily take the place of the Savior's interests. And in spite of Jesus' own hunger and his own weariness and his humanity, he saw those people and in compassion because his heart ached as he heard their cries, the deep inner cries of their soul. And he taught them 
and he loved them, and he fed them, and he bid them farewell, and he goes up and prays. And you know what I think he was praying? I think he was praying for them and for his disciples. And instead, the disciples just lived their life, as someone said, cafeteria style, self-service only. And there they are in their self-centeredness. What a sad ending to really an incredible day. I mean, they start with empty stomachs, and, uh, and it ends with baskets full of abundance. And they totally missed it. They totally missed Jesus and what he was doing and his heart for people. They had entered a desert place for sure, but it was their own personal spiritual wasteland. I think there's two big ideas that come from this, probably many more, but let me share with you two big ideas. One has to do with the consequences of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is what hardens our hearts. It, it makes us deaf to the cries of others. It blinds us to the power of our Savior. It stunts or hinders our own spiritual growth with Jesus. So let's be honest. I mean, how many times, maybe even this last week, did our personal interests get in the way of seeing the needs of someone and seeing God work through you to accomplish some impossible things for His glory in meeting those needs? How many opportunities are passed by because of hardened hearts that just seem to always look here inward. An opportunity to maybe support a missionary, but we look at our own budgets and think, oh, I don't think we can get that done. An opportunity to participate in, in a community group, in, in, a, in a small group where there's life and, and uh, the one another's are being inputted into our life. I mean, ah, yeah, I, I was a long commute today, and that chair, my comfy chair at home with that TV remote just looks a lot more beneficial. Or the chance to, to help someone in need, that little voice that is inside and says, do you see that? And we just ignore the opportunity for the Good Shepherd to work in us and through us to experience something marvelous. Watch out, Mark is writing. Our spiritual hearts become hardened when we focus on the, on the, the wasteland and the wilderness of self-interests instead of the saviors. I think here's another big idea that comes from this passage, and that is the value of impossible circumstances. The value of impossible circumstances. God allows us, doesn't he, to go into those difficult, if not impossible, circumstances of life. Those moments of, you give them something to eat. So that we will come to the end of ourselves, realize the poverty of our own resources, and look to the abundance and riches of His and say, Lord, we can't. 
But man, I can't wait to see what you can. Impossible circumstances are blessings. It's God's grace in our life so that we learn greater dependence on Him. You feed them. Lord, you're asking me to do what? You love that unlovable spouse. I can't. He's calling you to, you give to that situation. But Lord, it's not in my bank account. He's calling us to befriend that coworker when our friend list is full. Lord, I don't have another bit of margin in my life for these people. You feed them. And see, this is where the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit comes in. Otherwise, you know what happens? It slips over into legalism, does it not? And we hear other voices tell us what to be doing. It's following the Holy Spirit. And when He directs us into those impossible circumstances, Lord, I can't. That's when we say, but, but you can and we deepen our dependence upon Him. I think here's the bottom line. When God's heart becomes our heart, that's when we'll hear the cry of others. And when God's heart becomes our heart, that's when we see the impossible happen. And when God's heart becomes our heart, our wilderness turns into abundance. Because we are part of a wonderful plan of God that on that day, in that hour, as a need arose, he tapped us on the shoulder and he said, Mark, you give them something to eat. And what we do with that challenge will either broaden our perspective of who Jesus is or enlarge the perspective of ourselves, of our own needs. You feed them. And so what does God want to do in our life this week, this coming month? What does He want to do to convey His compassionate concern through us to someone else? You know what I'm encouraged about? is this is a church that I so often see people responding to the you feed them with that attitude, I can't, but you can. Folks, just this week, just this week, I heard about a man who every week now goes and visits an elderly couple who are, used to be members here who have dementia and every week, he's never met these people before, but every week he goes and visits. And, and when he leaves that room, they don't have a clue who is there. Doesn't matter. You feed them. He is. Just this week, I heard about two men from this congregation who heard about a single lady whose furnace broke. And they stopped what they were doing and they went to take care of it. Just this week, a couple of days ago, I heard about a guy who bought um, some boots, some warm boots for somebody who has to walk to work 
and in the cold of the winter to keep his feet from getting cold, this guy bought him some boots so he could walk to work. Just this week, I heard about somebody in this congregation who helped a perfect stranger fix a flat tire on their car. No one watching, no one knowing. How do I know that? Because that perfect stranger sent me a note and said, let me tell you about someone in your congregation. Folks, this happens all the time. And as long as we can, we're going to preach Christ. And we're going to talk about the love of a Savior who in compassionate concern reaches out to the shepherdless, to the lost, hear the cries and the needs of others, and will tap us on the shoulder and say, you give them something to eat. And for as long as we can, we're going to preach, but Lord, I can't. But you can, because we know you. We've gained insight from, from the incidents of that time in my life when this or that happened and, and you met my need. I gained incident from the testimony of this brother or this sister in Christ who were going through desperate time, but you showed up and you ministered to them. I've gained insight from this and that. Lord, I know who you are. And I will walk dependently upon you. Because in the impossible circumstances of life, in the crying needs of the, the people around us, the bottom line is always, Lord, I can't, but you can. And the wilderness, oftentimes, of our soul is replaced by abundance. Would you bow your head, please? Our Father, I'm not sure what you have in store for us this week or the next, but my prayer is, Lord, that we would be open and sensitive to that little tap on our shoulder, that little whisper in our ear that says, you give them something to eat. And may we not turn away lost in our own desert of self-centeredness, but in the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, may we say, Lord, I can't, but my am I so grateful that you can. Because, Lord, I can do exceeding abundantly beyond that I could ever ask or think, according to the power that works mightily within me. And we can say, Father, I want to be, I want to be usable. I just, I just want to present myself to you as a living sacrifice. Oh, Father, help me to gain insight from all those daily miracles that you have done, the greatest of which is the gospel. Lord Jesus, when you died on the cross and paid for my sins and rose again, may that forever move me to say, I can't, but you can. All for your glory, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.